Hey friends, welcome today to Moment with Miranda. Thank you so much for taking this time with me today. It's a time where together we come to the mirror of God's word and we come to see something that maybe we've never seen before or to hear something again that we forgot about. And really, we come to the mirror of the Word of God so that ultimately we can see Jesus, so that we can gaze upon His beauty and to be transformed into the same image. And today, as we look together to the mirror of God's Word, He is allowing us to gaze at a beautiful and a priceless gift, and that is the share of suffering. So maybe that doesn't sound like something very interesting to you, but if it intrigues you, then I want you to stick around with me today for this moment together. Welcome into the house of the delighted father. He is always so happy for us to come. I want you to know that everything that God does in us and for us is done from his delight. And as you and I begin to realize that God is happy with us, we believe the words that he speaks about us. And we begin to speak those same words of power over our lives. And then we will see our lives transformed. And that transformation will be into the image of Christ. And that is a glorious work. So welcome today. Let's take a look together into the mirror of God's word. I want to share for a little bit today a familiar story. If you are a woman and you have been to any sort of ladies conference or a retreat in the time of your life, you would have heard this story. Now, you men, I don't want you to check out or to stop listening because I believe that this is something that is for all of us. But the woman that I want to talk about and the story that I want to reference today is the story of the woman with the alabaster box. Now, her story is found in all four of the Gospels. We see that there has been question because each each story is a little bit different. Each experience is a little bit different. And we see there have been questions through the years. Is this the same story? Is it the same incident? Is it the same woman? In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the woman is nameless. John gives us her name in his gospel and says that it's Mary, Lazarus's sister. And you know what? It's not my intention today to try to figure out, okay, what was this woman's name? Um, was this all the same incident? Were there, were there other incidences? Was it multiple women? We can't know for sure what if that's the if that was the case or not but maybe there's a reason that we don't know the particulars of this story maybe it's so that we can't make it about a singular event a one-time event or one woman that was willing to pour it all out what if we could take away that there was more than one more than one woman that would pour it out, more than one person that would pour it out, more than one single time in history. I think if we were willing to take that away, then you and I could be that person. We it, There could be a moment in our lives where we are just like that woman and we could find ourselves like her. Or maybe, you know, this is just one woman's story. Again, my purpose today is not to figure out that part in particular. I'm not going to go into some kind of big theological debate. Because what I want to bring attention to is something that each of these stories and each reference has in common. To begin with, we know that the story of this woman is come the stories of this woman coming into a crowd of people of Pharisees and disciples alike men and women most likely but in an act of worship we know that she brings this jar that's full of precious ointment and she breaks it and she spills it out on Jesus a couple of the gospels say that it was on his head some say that it was on his feet some say that she wiped his feet with her hair others omit that part but in each case there's this group of people that are present that don't understand what she's doing. Some of them question her and some of them question Jesus. And I want us to see that in this moment, there's something happening between the woman and Jesus, that they are both united together in sharing and they are sharing in a form of suffering. 
in this case, it's this form of suffering through accusation. They hear, who does this woman think that she is? Or does he know who she is? Or what a waste of money this has been. It could have, be, could have been used for something better. There, this was a useless or needless extravagance. You see, the pain of finger pointing and rejection is experienced by both of them together. But in spite of that, she pours out her jar freely. What she has brought to Jesus, no matter what it is that other people are saying. Now, if you have heard this story before, you have probably heard it taught from every angle. Maybe the most common idea that we hear is the one of pouring out what's most costly to us and spilling it at the feet of Jesus in spite of what other people might think or what they might have to say. I can tell you from my own experiences that there were many times after hearing this story that I found myself pouring out the contents of my wallet on an altar. I found myself pouring out my own ambitions or my own desires. I was pouring out my life again for the sake of the gospel and dedicating all of the good things that I would do in the name of God to him, pouring out my worship, all things, all of these things that were of great cost and very personal. Not bad, not bad at all. They were right things to pour out at the feet of Jesus. But I noticed something different this time when I was thinking about her story again. And what I noticed was that what she and Jesus shared together in this act, that they shared in suffering. Notice that they both shared in the accusations of people who didn't understand the action that was going on. She wasn't alone in her suffering. He was there too. He was in it. And neither of them were moved by what other people thought. It was this very personal moment for him and her together because they were sharing together. And after her action is completed and when all of the accusations have fallen silent, Jesus finally speaks. And in the book of Luke, he speaks to the crowd about this woman's character. Although, suf although suffering the identity of a sinner, this is how that woman had suffered. Jesus says, she did what you weren't willing to do. He said, you didn't offer to wash my feet. You didn't greet me with a kiss. You didn't anoint my head. These weren't accusations against these people. This was basic nice things that was custom in the day that you would have done when you greeted somebody into your house as a guest. He said, this woman who you suffer as as a sinner, she washed my feet with her tears and she wiped them up with her hair and she kissed my feet and she anointed them. Though she has many sins, though her identity as sinner is right, they're forgiven. Why were her sins forgiven? What, why was this act so special? I think it was because she saw the gift that was in front of her, that she didn't see all of the people. She didn't see her jar. She didn't see the cost of it. Instead, she saw Jesus. And in Matthew, Mark, and John, her sins are not actually addressed in these accounts, but the same hardness of heart of the crowd is. They focused on the action. What a waste of money. Who is this woman? But Jesus focused on the heart. He knew that somehow she saw him. And his response in these three gospels was the same. It was, leave her alone she has done what she could do beforehand to prepare me for my burial. So if you are familiar with the burial customs of that time, which thanks to Google, I now am, then you will know that oil and spices were used to embalm the body, basically, to keep it from smelling as it would decompose in the grave. And the spices were not cheap. One of the principal spices was myrrh. It was one of the main ingredients. And myrrh was not only used in these kind of situations, but myrrh was also one of the main ingredients that was used in the Old Testament in the shaman. Now, the shaman was the oil of anointing that was used to anoint the priest, to consecrate the priests and all of the vessels of the tabernacle for the service of God. So it was this sacred spice that was used in dedication for service. 
but it's interesting that it was also used for burial and it is associated with mourning and with suffering. So myrrh was a fragrance of dedication. It was dedication to service and to suffering. See friends, what I see right here is what I missed in other times that I read or that I heard about this woman. That yes, this was a costly perfume and practically it would have bought a lot with the money she could have got for it. And it represented all of her earning, all of her capabilities go into that little jar. But it also represented all of her living. What do I mean by all of her living? It wasn't just her earning, it was also her living. And what I mean by that is the sum total of what life had handed to her in that little jar. You see, whether we realize it or not, every experience of our lives is filling the jar of our lives. It's filling our vessel. It is this mix of spices and oil. We are just earthen vessels. We're these clay jars and we are easily filled, but we are easily breakable and we're easily marred. And life proves that. Sometimes what life fills us up with is good things. It's wonderful experiences, but then other times, not so much. Some Sometimes our lives, the jars of our lives get filled with suffering and they get filled with disappointment. And sometimes there's hurt and there's discouragement. It's sometimes, you know, it's hard enough to pour out the good things, to sacrifice the good things that we have received or the good things that we have earned and put into the little box of our lives. But what about pouring out the things of suffering? You would think that that should be easier, but sometimes it's harder because I suffered for that. Don't you know the suffering that went into this jar right here? That's my pet hurt. That's close to me. I have formed life and thoughts around that suffering. But what if when this woman poured out her jar, what if it wasn't just all of her earning or all of her capabilities, the good things that she was able to do, but what if it was all of her living, the sum total of the experiences of life? What if the jar contained her mix, not just a mix of dedicating service to God, but also the mix that included her personal suffering? I hope that you can follow with me for just the next couple of minutes as I really try to share with you what, what I'm beginning to see and to understand in a whole new way. You see, Jesus recognized what this woman did as her act of dedication. It was her jar of oil. One part of it was willing work and the other part was surrendered suffering. Was this not the same thing that Jesus himself was about to do? He was about to be dedicated to service and suffering on our behalf. Friends, she was spilling out hers onto his feet. She was spilling out her suffering, the fragrance of which filled the room where they were. And soon Jesus was going to carry the fragrance of everything she poured out to the cross on her behalf. If we read the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, the reference over the top in many translations and in many Bibles, it says the suffering servant and it's talking of Jesus. And Isaiah says he was despised and he was rejected of men. It sounds a lot like the woman as she entered the room that day. He was a man of sorrow and he was familiar with grief and we hid our faces from him. He was despised and we had no esteem for him. Surely he bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. One version says that it was our suffering that he took upon himself. Yet we thought that he was punished by God, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was placed on him and with his wounds, we are healed. 
what this woman didn't realize that she was pouring out on him was not just an act of service of I'm laying down all of my money at your feet or all of my life. She, What she didn't realize is that he was dedicated to take for all mankind our suffering. So what she didn't realize in pouring out on him was what he was about to take, suffering. He was taking on all of her living, a share of her suffering so that she could take a share of his suffering. And his suffering, friends, his suffering would become to her and to all of mankind the greatest gift of freedom that any of us could ever receive in exchange. I really hope that you can see the beauty of this wonderful gift of suffering that we have a share in. The very thing sometimes that we try to keep contained that are is the most sacred place or the most personal place in our lives. They can become our greatest place of freedom as we pour it out on Jesus' feet. People may not understand how you can pour out your greatest disappointment or your greatest unmet expectation or the greatest offense ever done or your right to be bitter about something. These things, friends, are the myrrh of our lives. They are the suffering places of our lives, but it is a wise and it is a free person who realizes the suffering that has been a part of their life, of all of their living, has already been carried by Jesus. He has a share in it. Surely he has borne our suffering and we have a share in his and our share, friends, is peace and our share is free freedom to live full of his resurrected life. Friends, suffering is not bound to one person at one time through all of mankind. We have all suffered. And you know what? We all will suffer. The word tells us clearly that those of us who will live godly lives, we're going to suffer persecution, let alone the suffering that we have experienced in individual places of our lives. Each of us has a vessel filled with life and we are a jar that is invited to be broken at the feet of Jesus. What if we could see the fragrance of our suffering, the fragrance of that thing that has deeply marred or hurt us being carried with Jesus to the cross. That would be the greatest gift of sacrifice and freedom that we could ever have a share in. Wouldn't we live more free if we could truly see that? Stay tuned in for more Moment with Miranda. Hi friends, welcome back to Moment with Miranda. This is the second part of today's moment at the mirror of the Word of God where I like to go back and I like to look a little bit more deeply and to gaze a little bit longer so that we can maybe see more, to see more of what it is that God would say to us today, specifically through this moment where we're talking about the share of suffering. Suffering is certainly not a topic that many of us are quick to want to dive into. If anything, it's one that we really do our best to avoid. Truth is, is no one likes pain. No one likes disappointment or rejection. As a first world culture, we Americans, we thought that we were suffering recently when we couldn't find Jif peanut butter on the shelves because of this salmonella outbreak that happened. Everywhere you went, you heard people talking about where there was no peanut butter anywhere. And as soon as we found out that one store had this Jif peanut butter, because that's the brand everybody liked, away we would all go to get it and to hoard it so that we wouldn't be found again without it. And I remember, you know, growing up, these other first world problems, as I like to call them, that we had, we, in our house that we lived in, we had a septic tank that was too small for the size of our family. And one of us would shower and then it would back up. And certainly that was not a pleasant thing to have sewage 
in your basement. So on those days whenever we weren't all able to take a shower, we were forced to suffer a quote bird bath or a sink shower. And we would all joke around and say, but this is America. How is it that we have to take these baths in the sink because we don't have water? Now, having been abroad and experienced some third world showers, I can thank God, certainly for the days of my childhood bird baths. They definitely prepared me for my future. But I can say that we really thought we were suffering some hard things. However, we know that there is real suffering on the earth, be it poverty or hunger or slavery religious persecution, we know that until this point, American Christians have not really been faced with the reality of death for our faith. We've not been maimed or disfigured for refusing to give in to the pressures of harsh political regimes or religious genocide. Knowing this gives us some ability to kind of compartmentalize our own suffering when we think about the extreme suffering of others. But the truth is, is that we do suffer. Each and every person, no matter where we live, no matter how long you have lived, all of us have suffered or we will suffer. It's an experience of life that is common to all of us. And no matter the experience of it, no matter the depth of it or the certain circumstance, our suffering is still our suffering. It's real. It's painful. And we often do all that we can to avoid it. We would almost be silly to not. And having walked through some personal suffering at times, rather than face the truth of it and what it was doing to me personally, I told myself, it doesn't matter, or just push through, or just forget about it and move on, or I would just get busy. I thought by refusing to acknowledge or to think deeply about what I was feeling in my moments of pain, I was proving that I had faith in that life didn't affect me because I was a Christian after all. And the truth was, though, is that I was affected by it. I pushed down the pain that I was feeling. I thought that I was doing the Christian thing with that when in reality, it was not just unresolved. It was unacknowledged. It was denied. Pushing it down didn't make it go away. It most certainly, most certainly would pop up again and I would have to think about it. I would have the opportunity to deal with it again, to see it again. But instead, what did I do? I shoved it down again, thinking that was the right thing to do. And I just needed more faith to not feel this way because aren't we Christians who don't go by what we feel but we go by faith. Friends, what was happening in me was that I was at odds with my spirit. I was participating in something that offended my conscience, but I was told that it was okay with God. I didn't trust the voice inside of me, the voice of my father God in me, because I didn't know actually how it was that he spoke. I had this faulty understanding of his character, of his nature, and therefore his voice was twisted. Deep in my heart, I couldn't make my conscience and my actions come together as one. But because I distrusted my own ability to hear from God and was taught to distrust that, I kept pushing down what I was truly feeling in the name of, quote, just having more faith. Because this disquiet then in my soul kept popping up, I became angry. I was angry that I couldn't just say, I cannot participate in this any longer. I was afraid that I was wrong. I was angry that my discomfort seemed to make no difference to the one that I was involved with. And I figured 
I must need to do something more. Clearly, there is something wrong with me. And my unresolved anger became inner anger. And that began to express itself in extreme denial. Denial of simple forms of pleasure for myself. Denial of the pain in my physical body. Denial of my own needs. Denial of foods that I enjoyed. And eventually, I began to hit myself. Unsure really how else to alleviate the pain and frustration that I was feeling on the inside, this seemed to give me some sort of sense of relief, even if it was for just a brief moment. And I can say that refusing to acknowledge my pain and the truth that I was suffering on the inside, it took a toll on my physical body and eventually I was sick and I got down to just skin and bones. Friends, I can tell you that I didn't know that I was suffering. I didn't know the lies and the deception that I was living under. Until one day, Jesus told me I was free. I saw it for the first time in my life that all that Christ had done for me through the cross was free. He didn't need me to prove or to earn his love or attention. He didn't need me to prove my worth or value to him. He didn't need me to punish myself in his name for his will to be accomplished he had already done all of that and i was free to just receive it and to just walk in his goodness and in his love i can tell you that that truth delivered my soul from what i'll call dis-ease in a moment the love of God that was free, it did something that I cannot explain. I wish I could tell you the feeling. I wish that I could express just the depth of gratitude that began to come up out of my heart. I felt such peace in God's choice of me. And that peace began to be the shoes on my feet to help me walk out of the snare that I had been in. That walk took another six months before I got out of the situation that I was in and began to come into true freedom. And now I'm still walking that freedom out. What I can tell you of a certainty is that deliverance, it happens in an instant, but freedom takes a lifetime to explore. This journey toward more and more freedom has taken me not just forward but it's also taken me back and it's taken me back to the place of my suffering not for me to wallow there or to invite other people to come and wallow there and hang out but it has taken me back so that I can actually acknowledge that it was real and that it mattered so that I could finally begin to see Christ in the middle of it so that I could finally begin to see that what happens in my life and what affects me matters. And it doesn't just matter to me, it matters to God. And he did something about that suffering through Christ. So why do I share this part of my journey with you? Because I want you to understand that in some small way, perhaps, I can share in your journey, your journey of suffering and your experience of life. As we looked at the woman with the alabaster box, we saw that she poured out her living, not just her monetary gain, but also her life experience. In reading her story, we can have a glimpse of her suffering. It was her own jar of joy and suffering mixed together. My journey is my jar of suffering and joy. Your journey is your jar of suffering and joy. And we each have the choice of what we do with it. But the truth is, is that we are united in common in the fact that we all have a jar of suffering and of joy. 
so society and even some psychology would say that we have a right to our, our suffering, that we have a right to receive repayment, that we have a right to hold on to the injustices that we have suffered at our own hands and even at the hands of others. Some would say that we have a right to be and live the way we are because we have been handed a pitiful hand by life. It's just not fair, the things that have happened to us. And as I have been participating in counseling myself and walking my own steps, the right that I can see that I needed to acknowledge was the right to feel my own feelings, the right to acknowledge my humanity. I hope that you can understand what I'm trying to share here. I'm not trying to delve into like the depths of psychology and I am not a psychologist. I don't know all of the ins and outs of the human psyche and I am certainly not knocking psychology or counseling because what it has done for me is to help me to know that I can feel again. That feeling is okay. I have given myself permission to be a human being. Sounds silly, but it was like I didn't realize I didn't do that. I've given myself permission to have real feelings and emotions. I have acknowledged that this hurt me, that this was painful to me, that this made me angry. And I've been able to acknowledge that hurt and anger and pain to God. See, my Christian upbringing told me that it doesn't matter how you feel, that faith is what matters. But there was a twist to that. In fact, it's not that feelings don't matter. It's that as sons and daughters of God, we're not led by those feelings, that we don't make choices based on every whim or feeling that passes or every fleeting desire or perception that comes into our view. We can acknowledge these feelings, but then we take them to Jesus and we take them to the word and we allow them to find a place of reference and a place of rest, both in Jesus and in the word of God. Society would say that I have a right to retaliate, that I have a right to carry hate. I have a right to gossip. I have a right to never let anyone else close to me again. I have the right to guard myself so that I don't experience it experience suffering like this again. But friends, as a daughter of God, made in his image, the only real right that I have is to acknowledge my suffering and by God's grace to expose it to God and to release it at the feet of Jesus. Maybe the picture that we need to see of it is the jar of oil spilled out onto Jesus' feet as an act of worship and love, just like the woman. Maybe we need to see our suffering as the fragrance of myrrh that he carried with him on his own journey of suffering on our behalf. As I've been studying more on this myrrh, I was amazed to hear about how myrrh is harvested. In the Britannia, Britannica Encyclopedia, I read that the fluid of myrrh is obtained from the bark of a tree when it splits naturally or when it's cut in tapping. When it's exposed to the air, it secretes this gum and that gum forms lumps and these lumps are called tears. These tears are part of the natural protective process that the tree goes through in order to protect itself while it heals. And when those tears are collected from the tree, then that is the gum from which the myrrh is taken. The gum is used and it's added to oils to make perfumes into incense. So when the bark is cut, what exudes is myrrh. And that myrrh from the wound is the costly fragrance or the costly ointment. What a beautiful and timely 
parallel this is to what we see in the woman's story and in our own suffering. Our times of suffering come as a result of being wounded. Sometimes it is unexpected and undeserved. Other times it's a result of our own doing. Either way, the wound produces an effect. And a lot of times that effect is self-protection. Sometimes it doesn't feel like the tears that we cry are good. Sometimes we can't help but give ourselves over to them. They just flow freely and uncontrollably. Other times we don't want to let ourselves fear them. We want to ignore them and act like they aren't there. We get busy. Sometimes we want to keep them for ourselves. They become part of an impenetrable armor that we can use to keep us from feeling again or from allowing anyone else access to us. And then sometimes we've held them for so long, we can't give ourselves or see an identity apart from them. We fear that if we release this suffering, who are we going to be? Where will we go from here? We fear our story will be over because they have been our story. I know that that was a lot of sometimes and other times, but what it comes down to is they all culminate into one truth, that they are a part of our jar. They're a part of our experience. They're a part of our life. And we have a choice of what we do with all of our living, with all of these contents. Remember in Luke's account of the woman's story that the people all around her identified her. Some identified her as a sinner. In other accounts, she was seen as wasteful. There is this identity that is linked with her. There is no doubt that there was some level of suffering that she experienced by their words and by their looks. I would find it very hard to believe that she felt nothing, that somehow she was just so enamored and singularly focused that she could see nothing at all or hear nothing at all. Friends, she was a human being. Maybe she did feel shame of her past sins. Maybe she did feel shame at what they thought of her. Maybe it was just a momentary thing, but those feelings, in spite of what they were, maybe she recognized them. Maybe she was able to just acknowledge that they were there. They still didn't keep her from coming to do what she intended to do, to pour out her jar. And I think it's worth considering also that there was intention with what she did. It was not this spur of the moment decision. I mean, it's not like she was probably just carrying around her most expensive life's pursuit in her robe all of the time. She didn't keep it in her purse or in her back pocket. It wasn't a result of these emotions uh, from a moment at dinner where she just all of a sudden just felt like she wanted to pull out that jar that she happened to be carrying around with her. It probably wasn't a result of a really good sermon that Jesus happened to give that day that encouraged her to do what she did. Really, the only indication that we may have about why she did it I think we can see with what Jesus said in Luke chapter 7 verse 47 he said her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but to whom little is forgiven the same loves little I think the indication that we have as to maybe why she did it was this that she was forgiven Friends, I'm coming to believe that the only way that we can truly release the place of our deepest suffering, our own jars of myrrh, is that we recognize that we have been forgiven. The reason that we've been forgiven and that we can share our suffering, releasing it to the feet of Jesus is because he suffered just like us and his suffering was for us. In Hebrews chapter 4 verses 14 to 16 it reads, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens for us, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our faith. 
for we don't have a high priest that can't feel our infirmities, but in fact was in all points tempted as we were, but without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. Jesus was able to sympathize with our infirmities. He knew what it was like to be human, to suffer as humans suffer. He was in every way human, like we are human. He was flesh and he was blood. He did this so that he could have compassion on us, so that he truly could share in our suffering. The only difference was that he was able to do this sinlessly. And because he was sinless, he could carry our burdens and our sorrows on the cross as the perfect lamb in our place so that we would no longer have to carry the effects of our sorrow for the rest of our lives. One of the most freeing moments for me in my journey with suffering has been in my recognition that Jesus knew that same suffering in every way that I did, and more, so much more. Even though I experienced pain, so did he. Even though I experienced humiliation, so did he. He was there, even in my deepest place of question and doubt. He saw, and he heard, and he knew. I love this verse in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. God is speaking to Moses about the coming deliverance of Israel from out of Egypt. And he says, I have surely seen and heard. I know their sorrows. And I am coming down to deliver you out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring you up out of that land and into a good land flowing with milk and with honey. In the story of the Exodus, we see the physical deliverance of Israel from generations of slavery and of suffering. These were people who were beaten down and abused in every way. And then we can see in the book of Isaiah, which I shared in the beginning of this moment, the spiritual deliverance, not just of Israel, but of all mankind through Jesus Christ. And this deliverance was prophesied by Isaiah years in advance to it actually taking place. In both cases, God was aware of the suffering and the pain, and he had already made preparation. There was already one dedicated to willing service and to surrendered suffering. And as I shared earlier, in Isaiah 53, we see this scripture just bearing reference to the suffering of Christ. And there is no human condition that Jesus himself did not enter into during his time on earth or take to the cross to be willingly poured out that we haven't experienced ourselves. We can read from this chapter all of the suffering that he endured. He was scorned and despised. He was looked on with contempt. He was rejected and forsaken by people that hated him and by those that were closest to him. He suffered lack and destitution, being left alone to bear the burden. He experienced physical and mental pain and anguish. He knew what it was like to be physically abused. In fact, the scripture says that he was marred more than any other man. He knew what it was like to be in grief over what was happening. He suffered calamity at the hands of others. He knew what it was like to be looked over, to be thought of as nothing, to be considered valueless. He suffered humiliation, the humiliation of being paraded naked in front of others as they gawked at him and as they spit on him. He knew oppression and the pressure of being pressed and, pressed and driven by soldiers. He knew what it was like to be blamed and to experience injustice at the hands of angry people. And he knew what it was like to be punished because of someone else's sin. 
Friends, it was this last one that really got me. This, he knew what it was like to be punished because of someone else's sin. It's here that I'm beginning to see where I can release my suffering. This is found in Isaiah 53, 8. It says that he was cut off from the land of the living because of the rebellion of his own people. He was wounded. It's taken me some time to work through the belief that I was sinned against in what I experienced over my life, that there was injustice and there was unrighteousness. Those who should have looked out for me, who should have had my best in, in mind, who should have protected me in my heart, who should have taken responsibility, they didn't do it. The right that I had to be protected and to be nurtured and cared for unselfishly, I didn't get it. One person's bondage to sin ensnared me as well. And they didn't even realize or maybe they didn't even care that they were sinning against me. This really has been a hard pill for me to swallow. It's been some time coming for me to admit that as much as I tried to take all of the responsibility for what I participated in, that it was not all mine. That truly another's rebellion enslaved me. The truth is, is that I suffered. I suffered at my own hand, my own anger, my own self-punishment, and I also suffered at the hands of another. And I've struggled with forgiving, forgiving myself and forgiving them. And I've suffered hurt and loss as a result. But friends, I saw what I had missed before in this verse. I knew that Jesus suffered rejection and grief and hurt. But friends, he suffered because of someone else's sin. He carried the cup of suffering full of the wrongs of others. He did nothing and yet he carried it all. He suffered the sin of the one who sinned against me, just like me. And he suffered my sin, just like me. And then there's this interesting phrase in verse 10 where it says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. One version says that though, though the Lord desired to crush him and make him ill, once restitution is made, he will see descendants and enjoy long life. And the Lord's purpose will be accomplished through him. I've heard some make the argument that God is not sick and did not find some kind of pleasure at seeing Jesus crushed, that he needed that. Of course he didn't. It's not like he was kicking the cat instead of a child as punishment. But God didn't force Jesus to do anything. Jesus was always in agreement with the will of the Father. He was not forced to do what he didn't want to do. He wasn't not given a choice. His choice was God's choice. His will, it was God's will. His life was not taken from him. His life was given. Don't think that he couldn't have stopped what had happened to him from happening. No, instead he chose to freely give. No wonder he was so immensely pleasurable to his father. All of his father's will, he willingly fulfilled himself. Just like the woman poured out her jar of oil, he poured out his life like that oil. He poured out our suffering. He poured out our wounds and our rejection, our rebellion and our hate. And his reward for that pouring out was a family, many descendants, and an endless life. Just like her sacrifice has been a memorial for every generation since she did it, so was his and so much more. His suffering has been a perpetual fragrance before the Father that has made room and given entrance to many sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. And friends, his reward for that suffering is my freedom. His reward is your freedom. 
I know that as much as I see this truth, that there's still so much that I don't see. It's like for a minute, I see the magnitude of all that it entailed. And then just as quickly, it's gone. And yet I see it enough that I find myself becoming like that woman with the jar of oil. Not simply pouring out my pocketbook or what cost me my work and my service, but pouring out my suffering. That which I have a quote right to hold on to. I'm finding that the only right that I have is the right to his righteousness because of his outpouring of love. As I'm receiving his forgiveness for my own rebellion, I'm forgiving those who have rebelled against me. I am sharing in his suffering. And more and more that spilling out is becoming my pleasure. It's getting easier. Friends, in this moment today, what are you still holding on to? What is the suffering that Jesus is willing to take for you if you'll let him? Maybe you aren't ready yet, and that's okay. Just see him. Just see his love. He has seen you. He has heard you. He knows you. He knows what you have experienced because the truth is, is that he was there. And as you release to him what you have held, that trust that you release will be a beautiful fragrance of delight to the Father. He's not put off by what you've done. He's not put off at the things that you've suffered from yourself or even from the hands of others. But friends, may you know that you have a share in his suffering, that he took it for you. May his reward be that you freely give him yours today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you so much for sharing in my suffering. Thank you for allowing me to recognize and to acknowledge that there are places in life where I have been hurt, where I have been wounded, where it hasn't been fair, the things that have happened or what I've experienced. But God, you knew Jesus knew that I would go through those times. And so he willingly suffered everything that I suffered. He suffered rejection. He suffered scorn. He suffered humiliation. He suffered punishment at the hands of other people. He suffered the weight of other people's sins. And yet he poured himself out as an offering so that I wouldn't have to suffer those things anymore so that I could freely release them and I could receive forgiveness. And Father, as I've received that forgiveness, you're helping me to be able to forgive other people, to forgive those that have sinned against me, Lord. I thank you. Thank you for this share in your suffering. May I live a life, may my friends live lives that give Jesus the reward for his suffering. And that's our freedom, our choosing to walk in your goodness and in your truth and in your grace. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I really hope that you enjoyed this moment with Miranda, this share of suffering. I hope that you're blessed. I pray that if you need to listen to it again, listen to it again. I find and I'm believing that there's so much freedom in this message that I'm speaking. May we truly walk in it because us walking in freedom is exactly why Jesus suffered. I hope that you'll join me again next time for another moment with Miranda. And as always, God loves you and so do I. See you soon.